Are you guys familiar with that um, Mother Goose rhyme that says, uh, pussy, Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? It goes like this. If you haven't, it goes like this. Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? I've been in London. I've been to London to visit the Queen. Pussycat, Pussycat, what did you, what did you do there? I frightened a little mouse under the chair. And the reason I bring that illustration up because it, it kind of shows us what's going on, what's been happening here with the Corinthian church and what also happens also among many churches today, among us within the church. Like that cat, Christians sometimes settle for petty involvements, trivial pursuits, chasing mice, chasing mice. When we have the opportunities to spend time with royalty, the king, instead of remaining content with minimum daily requirements, we can deepen our relationship with God and grow in maturity. Since chapter one, since we began this um, book, 1 Corinthians, since chapter one, Paul has primarily been writing about a major issue causing problems within the church. And that was divisiveness. Here now, in chapter three, he addresses this issue by directly confronting these divisive Christians who are part of the church in Corinth. His intent is to move them beyond their current condition by informing them that unity can be achieved when believers seek spiritual maturity properly build on the foundation he laid and have a correct perspective about themselves and those who serve as leaders in the church. This morning as we go through this chapter, I hope you'll see these four beneficial effects of spiritual maturity. Number one, spiritual maturity challenge you, challenges you to move beyond your current spiritual condition. Spiritual maturity gives you a better perspective of those who serve in the church. Number three, spiritual maturity helps make a church strong, healthy, and vibrant. And number four, lastly, spiritual maturity inspires you to persevere in faith and obedience. So like we normally do, um, let's, we're going to open up with a word of prayer and uh, ask the Lord to, to speak to us this morning through His Word. Lord, we ask right now that You speak to us as we open up Your Word, Lord. We may know You, understand You, grow as Christians as well, Lord, as followers of Jesus Christ we'll have a better understanding of those who lead the church in general, Lord, um, again, so that we grow, Lord, because right now we're still, you know that we're still in our infancy stage, and as we continue to grow as a church, um, Lord, we, it's important that we remain united, Lord. So again, just be with us now, speak to us, pour your spirit upon this place, Lord. Fill us with your love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't know where it's at, uh, there's a book. If you have bi the Bibles there, there should be a bookmark nearby um, in, that, in that Bible. 
If not, I think, Isaac, if you don't mind letting us know what page it's on. Page 621, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul begins there. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you are still worldly. For, for since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to, the, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid the foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly so stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that, has, that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. All right, so back in chapter 2, verses 6 through 16, Paul explained that the difference between Christians who have the Spirit and non-Christians who don't have the Spirit. Oh, that's what he did back in, in the last chapter. We covered it last week. And um, again, if you missed it, uh, the, the videos and the audios are online. Um, here now, what he does is he compares two kinds of Christians those who are being controlled by the Spirit, and those who aren't. In verses uh, 1 through 4, Paul is specifically addressing those Christians at Corinth who were dividing the church into rival cliques, and those who were following along. He begins by telling them, he begins by telling them that even though they have the Holy Spirit, they're not behaving like spiritual people, but like people of the flesh. In other words, they weren't conducting themselves as though the Spirit were leading them. Rather, they were acting like unbelievers with their quarreling, with their divisiveness, with the infighting that was going on at that church in, in Corinth. 
So by saying they were babies in Christ, he was implying that though he knew they were saved, their behavior conveyed their immaturity as believers. As a result, he had to keep teaching them the basics of the gospel, the basics of Christianity. And this is why he said, I had to feed you just milk. Instead of the deeper, more substantive and advanced teachings that would help them grow stronger and become more united as a church. Now, in my experience, in attending or visiting different churches, I've noticed that regardless of its size, whether it's a size like this or a size of thousands of people, there are four types of people attending. The first type is the unbeliever. These are the people that aren't born again. They haven't dedicated their life to the Lord. Um, they don't know what, it's, what it means to be a Christian. And they, they're here because either they've been invited, they're seeking God because they've tried to find answers in all kinds of different places, or somehow they made a wrong turn and ended up in here in this room. So um, they probably they got lost. Um, but regardless of the reason, God has brought them there, brought them here to hear the message of Jesus Christ. The second type of person of the church is the new believer. These are the brand new born again Christians who are learning what it means to be a follower of Christ and are desiring, are hungry to apply God's word into their lives. These are the ones that, like all babies, like all small children, we have to protect. They, have to be, they need to be discipled the most because they're honestly they're the most vulnerable to false teachers, to wolves coming in and deceiving them. And so these are, again, these are the ones that we have to just surround ourselves and be around. And then there's a third type of people in the church, and these are the immature Christians. These are the ones Paul is speaking of here that are believers but are behaving like unbelievers. They live for the things of the flesh. Now, carnal means flesh and has little interest in the things of the spirit. The immature believer has to be constantly reminded of the basic fundamentals of faith because they're the ones who just keep forgetting. And you know, they, you, you tell them about something, they're like, oh, I forgot. Oh, that's right. You know, they just, they're, they're immature. You know, they're neither small nor maturing. They're just out there somewhere. They're not making an attempt to grow. And then the fourth type are the mature believers. These are the Christians who have moved beyond the elementary basics of the gospel. They're the ones serving and leading in the church and are teaching and discipling others. The mature believer seeks to understand the deeper things of God. They're the ones that are hungry for the meat and potatoes of the word. And they're the ones who are studying to get that, to, to feed themselves with the deeper things. 
And they're studying, again, studying his word to, av- to avoid those things that will, is going to cause them to stumble. It's going to cause them to fall. They're just looking to be obedient Christians. So my question to you is, which one of these, ty- which one of these types are you? If you're the unbeliever, then I hope that after today, you'll accept Jesus into your heart and live a life of faithful obedience. If you're a new believer, then with the abilities God has given me, I'll do what I can to help you, to help you mature. And those are, that are here too, other Christians that are mature here, to help you to grow into the person God intended you to be, that God created you to be. If you're an immature believer, I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm not going to stop, you know, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to just, you know, uh, there comes a point where, again, I'm going to have to just say, hey, you know, grow up. You know, you got to just listen to what is being said. You need to move beyond the basics. Loving and teaching you, but don't take it personal when I tell you that you ought to grow up especially if you've been in the church for a while. And if you're a mature believer, then I'll always welcome you to serve alongside of me in this church. In this church that God has given me to lead and as it grows and becomes into the church that God created it to be. Now Paul also borrows from another analogy or borrows from an analogy he used regularly in his letters, that of slavery. You see, although the, the, Christian, uh, the Corinthian Christians thought of themselves as spiritual, their divisions, envy, and strife said otherwise. Paul pointed out that they were actually behaving like mere humans, or, or what, he's, what he was saying was like worldly unbelievers by following human masters, just like like slaves did. Instead of living and behaving like free men and women in Christ, they were enslaving themselves whenever they proclaimed, I belong to Paul, I belong to Cephas, I belong to Apollos. That's what they were essentially doing. They were enslaving themselves to those people, to those leaders. Now, I understand that some of you may have come from different churches. Some of you may not have never been to a church. And, and those of you that have are probably been led by some amazing, wonderful, godly leaders who just knew the Lord. And, and you could just tell just by being around, them, talking, being around them and talking to them. And as a result, for some reason or another, he's brought you here. Um, and, you know, and now looking back, you, you still have that sense of loyalty. You have that deep sense of love and loyalty towards those godly leaders. Now, I, I understand and I get it because, you know, I, and the church I was serving at before, um, I was loyal there. I was, you know, I, I did what, you know, I followed the leaders that were over me. And, you know, I, I was discipled by them. I grew a lot by them. I cared for them. Um, I was always loyal to those who led me. But my question to you is this. When it comes to that loyalty, 
Is your loyalty to that leader or leaders supersede your loyalty to God? I've heard of stories of Christians coming to new churches, coming to a new church and causing problems because the pastor or the leadership wasn't like their old one. I've heard of stories of, of people coming into the church and trying to make it like their old church. You know, there's just, you know, there's, I, I, again, I understand there's that, man, if it was just like this, it would, the church would be perfect and it would be, you know, I would be happy and I would be content. You know, there's nothing wrong with being loyal to those who are leading you. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong having fond memories of, of where you served before, or those churches you attended. But when your loyalty to that person trumps your loyalty to God, then you're essentially to that person. However, when a believer is more concerned with being loyal to God than to a person, they'll be content to wherever God has them. And who is leading them, or whatever church they decide to make their make it their home, make make this or make that church their home church. They're content because they trust God has them there for a reason, and that God appointed these leaders to that position for their benefit. If you're here and you've decided or are thinking of making Fresh Vision Church your home church, as your pastor, you'll never hear me to, you'll never hear me ask for your complete loyalty and devotion. But really, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to point you to the chief shepherd and tell you to follow where he guides you and to go through those doors that he's opened to you or he's open for you. That's what I'm gonna do. I mean, the last thing I want you to do is be enslaved to me and be enslaved to anyone here. I just, I wanna point you to Jesus Christ. I'm gonna point you to the cross and say, you know what, follow him. You know, he'll get you to where you need to be. Now, Paul also mentions that they're only behaving in this, that mentions that not only are they behaving in a way that is in complete, op that is in complete opposite of what resembles a life focused on Christ crucified, but they're also ignoring the fact that all Christians, all Christian leaders, are just merely servants. So in, in verses 5 through 9, Paul seeks to temper their overinflated view of their church heroes by telling them how God's servants have relatively equal and insignificant roles to play compared to the role God plays in causing the church to grow. And he does this in a couple ways. He first compares the church to a field and its leaders to workers in that field. As co-laborer, as a as co-laborers in that field, God, I mean I'm sorry, Paul had one role and Apollos had another, but it was God who had the most significant role. God gave the growth. The planter and the water have nothing to do with causing growth. 
God alone causes it. And therefore, he alone gets all the credit. Now, although there's a diversity of function among godly leaders, or a diversity of function within the church, all godly leaders have a common purpose, which is the growth of the church. And although they're, they all share in that common purpose, Paul says in verse 8, verse 8, each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. This means that God's servants will be rewarded not according to gifts, talents, or even success, but according to their own labor. In spite of that, the overall point Paul is making is, is in verse 9. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field. Anyone deciding to go into the ministry or lead a ministry, and you'll see that as this church grows, there'll be more opportunities for that, should take this to heart. Every church pastor and ministry leader are simply God's co-workers in his field. We all have different roles and functions, but have the same purpose and goal. That goal is to plant the seed of Jesus Christ, maintain it as it grows, and keep watch of it until it's time for the harvest. And as long as God has me in this role as the lead pastor of Fresh Vision Church, I will be faithful to what he's called me to do. And I hope that anyone who serves alongside of me will as well. We serve because we want to share with others the love that God has given us. Now those of us that lead should also be careful about criticizing other pastors or church leaders just because they do things differently. Our main focus and concern ought to be serving the people within this church is to know what's going on here among those that are attending, among those who are sitting in, in these chairs. It says in Romans chapter 14, verse 4, who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls. And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Again, God is the one who will judge each worker for the work he has done and will reward those who he, who he feels deserve it. Every leader, every church leader, every church pastor, myself, those pastors that are serving all over El Paso, all over the United States, will be held accountable for what they did or didn't do as servants, as co-laborers in God's field. To set up his next comparison, Paul says in verse 9, you are God's building. Just as Paul described the church and its leaders with an agricultural metaphor, he now does so by churning to the world of construction in verses 10 through 17. And I don't know a lot about construction. I've never worked in construction, but I know the pretty much basics. And I know that the first thing that needs to happen 
is that a foundation needs to be laid. Here, Paul likens himself to a skilled master builder. And what this means in today's um, terminology is that he was the building's designer and the construction supervisor. And he was the one who laid the foundation of the church in Corinth. And this role as the master, as a skilled master builder was given to him by God's grace. The foundation he laid, he says, was the cross-centered gospel of Jesus Christ. However, he warns the strident leaders at Corinth to be careful about how they build on it. He then describes two kinds of construction material that is built, that people usually build on that foundation. One type made of valuable materials that doesn't easily burn, like gold, silver, and costly stones. Now, some have said that he may be referring to ministry that produces harmony. And the other type is made of cheap material that can easily burn, such as wood, hay, and straw. Which again, he may be referring to practices that lead to personal aggrandizement and widespread disunity. On the day that a believer stands before God's judgment, he will demonstrate that he is aware of those negative influences and will evaluate them negatively. Just as fire will destroy wood, hay, and straw, but not gold, silver, and precious stones, so the work of some will be revealed as nothing on that day. Now in, verses, now in verse 14, Paul isn't teaching that teaching salvation by works. Instead, he's referring to Christ's assessment of the way Christians have lived their lives subsequent to their salvation. These works flow from faith and include everything that pleases God, aligns itself with kingdom priorities, and advances his purposes in the world. In his commentary, Pastor David Guzik wrote this about verses 14 and 15. It's a sobering thought. Many people who believe they are serving God, but are doing it in an unworthy manner, or, or with unworthy materials will come to find in eternity that they have in reality done nothing for the Lord. Some will be saved, but with a life that was wasted and receive no crown to give to Jesus for his glory. For he, for he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire shows that some will be saved, but barely saved and saved with everything gone. On that day that you stand before God, He will evaluate you, not on the amount of work that you've done, but rather the work will be tested to see what sort it was. What Paul is saying is that God is concerned that you build on the foundation the foundation of Jesus Christ with quality material. This quality material is what he's been talking about since chapter one. 
That quality material is the wisdom of God that's found in His Word. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 to 15, it says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. For she is more profitable, or she, when he says she, it's talking about wisdom. He's talking about wisdom. For she is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. So if your desire is to build on that foundation of Jesus Christ's, or Jesus Christ with invaluable wisdom, then you must dig deep into the scriptures and just mine out the precious gold, silver, and jewels, and then build on those truths. You have to get in the Word. You have to study it. You have to get into it. You can't just read it casually and, oh, you know, no, just spend time in the Word. Find those commentaries that are useful. Find those daily devotions. Spend time in prayer. You know, sometimes just find a passage of Scripture and just ask, Lord, Lord, speak to me through this. What is it you're trying to, to tell me? What is it you're trying to say to me? It's digging deep into His Word, mining out all, those precious, um, all that precious, valuable wisdom. And this is the reason why. Because for all eternity... That's all that'll remain when God's holy fire tests the quality of the wisdom you applied from his word. Now in verses 16 and 17, Paul is referring to all believers who made up the church at Corinth. Later in chapter 6, he uses the same example to speak of individual believers. In verse 16, again, let me read that to you. He says, Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? And if again, if that sounds familiar, because in chapter 6, he mentions it again, but this, in that context, he's speaking about you as an individual believer. Here he's speaking about um, those, all those who made up the church in Corinth. Here, Paul warns against those who would try to destroy the church. These are clearly different people from those who used poor building materials in the previous paragraph. Here, the people are trying to tear down, to physically tear down the structure. Understandably, God's response will significantly differ as well. He will destroy them. This also applies to the church today whether it's a small church like this one or with one that has thousands in it. It's God's church. A temple is a place where the Spirit of God dwells. And this passage is clear that if anyone tries to defile or destroy it, God will destroy him or God will destroy them. Therefore, if he sees it, if he sees even a small church like this as holy, we must treat it as such because it matters to him how we treat his holy temple. Chapter 3 ends with Paul once again coming back to the topic of fall, the folly of human wisdom. So let's pick up in verse 18 and finish up chapter 3. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he, become, so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise are futile. So let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the things present or things to come. Everything is yours. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Verses 18 through 23 closes the chapter with Paul repeating his appeal to banish divisiveness. He tells these quarrelsome Corinthians that they're deceiving themselves into thinking they're wise by following society's standards of self-promotion. Wise in his age refers to the kind of impressive abilities that are typified that typified the deep thinkers of that time, the philosophers of that time, but which had no place in the church. To those who fit this description, he tells them that they must become foolish by the world's standards and embrace the godly wisdom which he's been talking about. To this day, even now, there are Christians out there who are walking around with their chests out and with their heads puffed up, believing that they've been given insights into deeper spirituality. They go around wanting others to know how much they know about God, while at the same time looking down at other Christians because they don't know as much as them. These, and this is my own term, these are what I would call Christian snobs. And what Paul is saying is don't be a Christian snob. Christians who are measuring their wisdom to the standards unbelievers measure wisdom should become fools so that they can become wise. You see, if one is not willing to be considered a fool by those who value only human wisdom, they will never able to truly become wise. Why is that? Because God has evaluated the wisdom of this world and he considers it foolish, craftiness, and completely futile, completely ineffective. The futile end of those who take, who fail to take this corrective action is again underlined by two scriptures, Job 5.13 and Psalm 94.11, which he quotes here in verses 19 and 20. In both those Old Testament passages, the context is sinful, godless behavior so once again, it's clear Paul isn't condemning all wise people. Just those, those who think they can be wise without God. 
This chapter closes with Paul highlighting a final reason for the futility of such attitudes. The Corinthians have everything they could legitimately need or want in Jesus. All believers belong to Christ, not to Paul, not to Apollos, not to Cephas, not to Angel, not to Anthony, not to... Uh, their allegiance should be directed towards Christ. They belong to Christ. That's who they belong to. Each one of those leaders as servants belong to them, as does everything else in creation, present, and future. He then tells them in the end, at the end of verses 22 and 23, everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. What he means by everything is yours is that this is Christian liberty and you belong to Christ. This is Christian responsibility and Christ belongs to God. This is the model of Christian humility and service. In this light, servants must never become a distraction to the church, and believers must never mistake them for the true master. The overreaching theme in chapter 3 suggests that in order to overcome divisiveness, it's necessary to recognize the fundamental equality and humble position of all Christians when compared against God's infinitely holy and perfect standards. In this chapter, Paul explains six ways to do that. Developing, number one, developing a mature Christian character. Number two, ensuring that the emphasis of our faith be on God and not on the laborers. Number three, building on the foundation of Jesus Christ with the valuable wisdom of God found in his word. Number four, loving and protecting his church and those who are in it. Number five, renouncing all worldly wisdom and become wise by persevering in faith and obedience, even when others ridicule both your beliefs and your behavior. And finally, number five, accepting the fact that there is no spiritual blessing someone else has, which you can't have access to as well, either now or in the future. Now, although chapter three is a message primarily directed towards believers in the church and those who are serving as leaders in the church, there's also a message here for anyone not part of the body of Christ. There's only one foundation that matters. There's only one, you know, people can build all kinds of foundations, can lay all kinds of foundations, but there's only one that matters, only one that will last for all eternally, eternity. The last part, verse 11 tells us what it is that foundation is Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 6 
verses 46 through 48, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ said this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against the house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. For those of you who desire, who want that Jesus Christ to be that foundation in your life, you've tried to lay all kinds of foundations and nothing seems to work. All that found, whatever you built on that foundation has crumbled, has fell, nothing has worked. And now you desire to make, or you, you, you want to give Jesus a shot. That foundation first has to be laid. And if that's never happened, you've never done that, I want to lead you in a prayer to lead, to, to, to lay that foundation. The Bible talks about we have to be born again. We have to, you know, if we want Jesus Christ to come and change our lives, we have to accept Him. We have to believe in Him. We have to trust in Him. We have to have faith in Him. And if you've never given Him a shot, I'm asking you now just to believe in Him, trust Him. He won't disappoint you. He died for your sins. He was willing to be tortured, to be spat upon, to be ridiculed to hang on the cross for you, for your sins, to forgive you of your sins so that you may be made righteous before God. You see, even though you deserve to be on that Christ because of your sins, it was Jesus. Jesus took on all those sins. He was an innocent man, never did anything wrong, completely sinless. And he hung on that cross endured that shame for you so that you wouldn't have to, so that you would live forever for all eternity with God. He took on your sin so that you can be forgiven, so that God can see you as holy, as righteous, so that to give you a blank slate. And if that's what you want and you desire that, you want that foundation to be laid in, and you want to begin building on, the, on, on that foundation, let me lead you in a prayer to accept Jesus into your, into your heart. So wherever you're at, where, you know, if you're here, you're watching, you're listening, with the sincerity of all your heart, pray this. Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. Though I've fallen short of your glory. I repent of my sins. 
I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I believe He is Lord. I come before you now to fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. I accept this forgiveness, your forgiveness. And now help me to lead a life dedicated to you. Change me from within, Lord. So that I may walk faithfully and obediently. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, then let me assure you that the foundation has now been laid. And as a new born-again believer, I want to encourage you to find a good Bible teaching church. Not a church that's going to give you a show. Not a church that's going to tickle your ears. Not a show that's going to... Um, feeds you just milk, but wants to give you the deeper things of God, that wants to teach you what's in His Word in its entirety. And also just surround yourself with mature believers. Surround yourself with good Christians. And if you don't have a church, you don't know any Christians like that, you know, just call me. You know, I'll direct you. If you don't, you know, have anyone to hang out with, you can hang out with my son here. He likes to skate, and he's, you know, he'll teach you how to skate, you know. But no, I will, no, seriously, I will, you know, we'll, we'll find some people to come and disciple you to help you grow as a Christian. This life, as a Christian, it's, 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 it's an adventurous and it's crazy roller coaster, and you need people to come alongside you to help you. And we'll do our best to, to help you with that. So again, surround yourself with mature believers so that you will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's close today's service with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, this message here that Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's... It's deep, Lord. There are a lot of things here that we can apply into our lives. I, I know that as, as I prepared this message, I couldn't get to every single detail about this message. And I pray, Lord, that people, will, people here, those listening, watching, will go back in and dig for more gold, Lord, because there is so much precious, so many precious jewels and gold and silver just in this chapter alone. And those that do, I pray that you just will fill them, or that you will just, that they will be left in awe of how wonderful and how majestic you are.
thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for everybody that's here. And I pray that they will grow, that they will mature into the people, into the women, men and women that you've created them to be, Lord. And that together we'll be able to serve and share the love that you've given us. That we'll be able to be a light here in El Paso so that others may see us and say, yes, they know the Lord. They know God. They are shining bright and are not weak. Lord, be with us. Give us the strength that we need, the knowledge, the wisdom. Keep us humble. We pray for the rest of this week. We pray for those that are going through some pretty crazy things right now, Lord. Only again, only you know, but give them the answers they need, Lord. Give them the comfort they need, they're looking for. Bless us all. Keep us safe, Lord. And if it's your will, bring us back here next week. We love you, Lord, with all our hearts. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.